0: This is such a blessing to be here today. This series called Outsiders we're doing is uh, really a focus on, on Jesus and His heart for those that are were often left on the outside for some reason or another, and uh, we got to keep our focus on Jesus. That that is seems so simple, but is often so difficult. But Jesus is the key because here's what I've come to to learn out of almost 43 years of life is. Left to myself, I will always say or do the wrong thing. Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay. Anybody else with me on that? Because that's that's just the tendency. Left to just me, I will say and do the wrong things, and so will you. Um I've been around you guys long enough. You're just as big a screw up as I am, and so we're just all in this together. If you're parents, you're already messing up your kids. Um I am I'm I mean if if you have had little kids or you've got little kids now you've already messed them up. If you have ever played the I got your nose game with your kids, you've messed them up. That's a great game for a 2-year-old that has no sense of reality yet. You know, you reach down and you go, "I got your nose." Oh, that's no good. and then we throw it out there. Oh, go get oh no, my nose. That's not good. This is the adult equivalent of Dad, I got your bank account. How do you like that? Oh, go check it. Oh, no, the bank account. That's not good. It's really, really lame. We're giving horrible entrepreneurial advice to our little kids. We say, hey, kids, Sally sells seashells by the seashore. That's the worst business advice ever. You're going to make your kid go pedal shells where everybody else can pick them up for free for nothing. It's the seashore, Sally. They're all right there. Aaron sells air by the atmosphere. This is not a good business plan. It's not going to work. And if you have ever sang this song to your kids, you're goofy. Rock-a-bye, baby, in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. Sweet dreams, honey. <laughs> we are messing up our kids. Left to ourselves, we're, we're always going to say or do the wrong thing. And so that's why for me, just to be able to, to zero in on who Jesus is and how he operated, I don't care if maybe that's why you're here, because you don't really know quite yet who Jesus is. Or or maybe you've been walking with him for a while. There's nothing more refreshing, I'm convinced, than coming back to the person of Jesus and and re-familiarizing yourself with who Jesus is and what he's done and how he interacted. Because for me, um, what I'm hoping is just that over the next five weeks will be a blessing to you. That just coming around who Jesus was will kind of refresh your soul and restore it in some way. Maybe for others of you, it will it will just kind of give you a clue to who he is in a way that you haven't caught before. Uh, but but there's this other part of what it means to follow Jesus. And it has to do with we're, we're called to follow in his footsteps. And so if our Jesus, our savior, is the one that is given us example that we would follow in his steps, then then if he operated a certain way, if he interacted a certain way, then I would Be wise and do well to really mimic my Savior Jesus. We're calling the series Outsiders because we know Jesus had this tremendous heart for people that were, for whatever reason, considered outsiders. Uh, They were outsiders because they were poor. Uh, They were outsiders because they were ill or sick. They were Outsiders because of, of race or gender or they were children. They were outsiders because of uh, geopolitical reasons. Outsiders because of some sort of odd religious belief or affiliation. But what Jesus always did, He was a boundary crosser. And He would cross over boundaries that others were unwilling to cross or venture into. And He would go out to those that were on the outside to bring them on the inside. That was the mission of Jesus. And while he was here on earth, he very much himself operated as as an outsider. Uh, His interactions and how people viewed him even, he he operated as an outsider and he he knew what it was like to be considered such. But whatever opportunity he had to reach across whatever boundaries other people put up, to, to get them that were on the outside and bring them on the inside, That was a very, very strategic and special and consistent move in our Jesus. We should be encouraged by that, but it's also to serve as a really good example uh, for for me and you. And um, when you think about all the different categories of what makes people outsiders, um, the chief one to me has to do with sin. And that's where we're going to start today that those that found themselves outsiders because of particular sin issues in their life. And what, what did Jesus think about that? How did he interact with that? What can we learn about Jesus in those moments? And then what, what does that mean for, for me and you as followers of his when it comes to those around us that are struggling with some uh, difficult aspect of, of sin? I, I think about it an awful lot. I mean, sin, if you're... Not real familiar, just a working definition for us that are all just on the same page here in the room is just disobedience to God. Uh, God and his word. God and his law. And uh, it, it, it separates us from him. Uh, it damages our relationship with him. It damages our relationship with creation. It damages our relationship with us. It damages our relationship with other people. God hates that rift because our sin pushes us out to the outer perimeters of what it means to be close with with God. And that's true for every single one of you in this room. That's true if you're watching online somewhere. That is true for every single one of us. We've we've all sinned. And Jesus interacted with so many different quote-unquote sinners while he was here on earth. There were people that were caught in adultery that he crossed over those boundaries to speak some life into them and, and restore them and, and get them headed in a new direction. There were others that, that were considered prodigals and he told stories of what it looked like for those that had just got out in a lifestyle where they're wasting their life and the downward spiral of sin and, and what happened as, as they returned and were met with the open arms of, of a loving Father God. He would tell stories even too, just and interact with with people that were considered sinners, but out of the religious classes. Those that had the religion down, they had the the do's and don'ts down, but they had missed for all the accomplishments and all the works, they'd missed an actual relationship with Jesus. And it's one of those moments with one of those sorts of groups of people um, that that have found themselves categorized as sinners. In Jesus' day, you could be categorized there either by your profession or your past. could lump you into this group of quote-unquote sinners. And in Mark chapter 2, there's one there that I want to take a look at with you this morning. As Jesus is starting His ministry, He begins to go around and He's calling people out calling them to follow him as a rabbi, but also as the son of God. And he said, come, follow me. And and if we were God become flesh, gathering some followers, you'd think that we might start with the religious elite or those that were the most promising from the, the social stratosphere. But that wasn't Jesus's tactic. He's looking at the outside and going, these, these are my people. And what I can do in and through those on the outside, I can bring them on the inside. He's looked at fishermen and he comes across in Mark's account here of a guy named Levi, which, uh, this, this man will have his name changed to Matthew. And it says this, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, which is both interesting and super cool. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? New Living Translation. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And he answers the question, the question coming from the religious elite that in his day were the insiders is, what's up with this? Why is Jesus eating with quote unquote tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers their question saying, it's, it's not the healthy people that need the doctor, it's the sick. And what he was just kind of leveling the playing field here, whether the Pharisees caught it at the moment or not, was... Every single person is sick. And I'm not just talking about a physical sickness. Jesus was talking about a soul sickness. Wrecked by sin. And He knew that as the great physician, capital G, capital P, He was the only one that could fix it. He was the only one that could fix a, a broken heart due to sin. And so He says, I, I'm coming here. I came here to go get those that were on the outside, those that were separated from a relationship with God because of their sin, I came to take care of that issue, to bring them on the inside. First of a relationship with me. And then into the fold of followers of mine, the, the church. And as he, as he starts to speak about this, the Pharisees probably began to mumble to each other and try to figure out what in the world's going on. Why why is this guy doing this? He's supposed to be a rabbi and you're not supposed to associate with people on the outside. You're not supposed to associate with with sinners. They're they're tax collectors. And the tax collectors were, as many of you know, they were despised people. Um, They were Jews who were employed by the Romans and they could get extremely wealthy off of uh, making a profit off of their own people. And that didn't earn them many friends. The Romans required a certain amount. And whatever they, as the tax collector, wanted to charge above what the Romans were going to take, they could charge of their own people. And so amongst the Jewish people, they were considered really a disgrace and despised. If, as a tax collector, if you were one, you were disgraced and despised, but so was your family. You were excommunicated from being able to worship in the synagogue. You couldn't give testimony in a court of law. These people were put out on the perimeter, outsiders, considered outsiders from their, their own people, considered a disgrace. And Jesus walks up and He says, You, you who everybody else thinks is a disgrace, come, follow Me. I want you. You belong with me. You can belong with me. And I'm calling you out to be my disciple. And while that's just a handful of words for us in a sentence, I mean, that's a very pregnant phrase. Be my disciple. But as they'd come to understand, what they were being called to wasn't just to go hang out with a teacher guy. It was to lay down their very life. It was to walk away from what they had been living for and do a 180 and face Jesus and let him begin to define who they were and where they were headed. The fishermen, if they had kind of started to follow Jesus and given up about halfway through, they could have gone right back to fishing with little to no issue. But these tax collectors made tremendous amounts of money, and those jobs were hard to come by, and so if Levi had decided about halfway through to give up on following Jesus, good luck trying to get the money that you had before. Good luck trying to get back into a, a field that didn't have many openings. There was a lot of risk involved in saying yes to Jesus for Levi, for Matthew. And yet he did. There was something better there. Maybe there was something empty about where he had been living. Maybe there was something about how everybody else treated him, but how Jesus chose to treat him, that Levi said yes to Jesus. I'm not quite sure what it was, but he said yes. And what gets the Pharisees in a roar is that, I don't know if it was a big going away party that uh, Levi throws with all his tax collector friends as he's bailing on the, on the business. I don't know what it was, but they have a, a party With all these disreputable sinners and tax collector friends show up at Levi's house and Jesus gets invited over and Jesus accepts the invitation. Jesus says, yeah, I'll go with you. And what caused the stir is that he's eating with them is in their culture, as many of you have heard, that was considered friendship. That was a outward sign that we have relationship. If we're sitting down at a meal, especially when I come into your house to sit down and have a meal, then that's saying, I'm fine with being in a relationship with you. I'm fine with befriending you. Yeah, I know what everybody else says. I know what people think. I know what your profession is. And I know what the religious elites say about me hanging out with people like you. Pharisees, their name meant separated ones. And they were really good at doing that separating themselves from anything that was unclean. They grouped everybody into two categories, righteous, unclean. And they did all the right stuff, avoid all the wrong stuff. They thought that's what made them righteous. Anybody else that didn't do that was unclean and you don't associate with those people ever. And so it was mind blowing that Jesus stepped out and said, those are on the outside. They're not on the in crowd and they are unclean. But I'm okay hanging out with them. I'm okay befriending them. And, and he did just that. And with Levi, what, what is so cool to me is, is he says, Levi, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. And now Levi becomes one of, the 12, one of the 12 guys that will witness over the next three years what Jesus does while he's here on earth, including laying down his wife and raising from the dead. And these are the 12 guys that are going to go out, 11 of them make it, to to taking the good news of who Jesus is to the world. And, And then generation after generation, we owe to what God did through those 12 that passed that on and passed that on and passed that on here in 2017. We stand here because, in part, Levi said yes. Because Jesus crossed the line and said, I came because of this sin issue. So come on. Come follow me. I don't want you just to long for the ride. I want you to be my disciple. This is a big deal. I want you to change the world. I want you to follow me in a radical way. Levi said yes. I love how Jesus interacts there. I love what that speaks to our Jesus about, about you having a place with him. Don't tell me that you don't belong to Jesus because of what you do for a living or because what you did in your past. Don't tell me you don't belong with Jesus because what other people have said about you. Everything that is recorded in the scriptures about Jesus speaks otherwise. He crossed over boundaries to go get people and then bring them in to the inside with a relationship with him and then with other followers. You belong. You belong with him. And don't belittle the work of Jesus, the cross or the resurrection, by, by your opinion or low self esteem. A lot of people do that. Jesus knows what a big deal sin is. And he gave his life for it. If sin's not a big deal, then maybe what Jesus did isn't a big deal. And we like to belittle sin too, but it's it's a big deal. He came to fix it. So it's not like he looks at sinners, quote unquote, and goes, it's really not that big a deal. And I just got to come and make sure, you know, you're loved or whatever. No, it's a big deal. It's going to kill you. If it's left undealt with, you are sick with it. You need a doctor, but the doctor is Jesus. It's not a thing. It's not a person. It's not an experience. What you and I all need is Jesus. And, and the beauty of this whole thing is every single one of us in this room, whether you are a Christian, which is the majority of us, but There's a lot in here that come in on a given weekend that are not Christians. You're trying to figure out who Jesus actually is and what he's done for you. But what all of us have in common is we're all sinners. We're all sick. Now, when you have said yes to Jesus, when you've confessed your sin and he has forgiven you and cleansed you, then you are freed from your sin. You're not bound by it anymore. You're not defined by it anymore And that's a a different thing. So now, before, sinner could just be the one descriptor of me. Then I came to Jesus, and now it's it's one of many, and it's certainly not the defining one. I'm also a saint today, thanks to Jesus. And I'm freed, thanks to Jesus. And that was all His work, not my own. And so for us, when we start to think about, okay, Jesus, thank You for doing that, then um, how can I be like that? How can I, if you're Jesus, friend of sinner's, then how can I be the same? And that that gets tricky. How do I I be a friend of of sinners? It it can be difficult. It can be dangerous. But if I'm following in the footsteps of of my Savior, then it's part of my job description. How can I befriend sinners? Well, I think a good place to start is taking a good look at yourself first remembering that were it not for the grace of God, were it not probably for someone else showing up in your life that saw you were on the outside and ventured across that boundary and said, there's something better for you. Or, I love you anyway. Or, let me just befriend you even though I know what is going on in your life. If it hadn't been for somebody doing that for us, then we'd still all be on the outside. If Jesus hadn't done that for us, we'd still be on the outside. So let's just kind of sober up for a minute and go, hey, thank you. We're all kind of on the same page here. We're all prone and in need of a doctor. And uh, and so we start there. But then we also start with looking at the church. Um, we start with those that profess to be followers of Jesus, those that, that claim that they have put their faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we start there and say, okay, now, as the church, is there, is there sin in the church? Is there sin amongst us that we're just kind of allowing or tolerating? If we taken a really low view of sin and watered stuff down, Um, What's going on internally first? We don't have any business to start to figure out what everybody that doesn't believe in God is up to. we we got to start with us, us, and then we start with us, us here. Got it? And in, in Corinthians, Corinth was just this massive a place. And then people got saved there and they're trying to work out, okay, well, I was into some pretty freaky stuff and now I'm a believer, but I'm still surrounded by the freaky stuff. So how in the world do I live now? And, and they were getting wrapped up even as believers in stuff that was not good and not healthy. And at least they were claiming to be believers. And Paul writes them and and says, I need to help you figure this out. I want to help you navigate how to be a Christian and deal with each other when you're surrounded by a lot of junk um, in your own midst, much less than what's outside the place that you gather. And in first Corinthians chapter five, he says some stuff that I think is instructive for us even here today. Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. And so when we start to hear, "Okay, Jesus is a friend of sinners and I need to be like Jesus. So I need to be a friend of sinners. Then you start to go, whoa, wait a minute. Um, I thought there's a whole bunch of passages in the Bible that say I'm not supposed to associate with, you know, quote unquote, those sorts of people. And to some degree, you're correct. And this one you'd read and you go, see, this says that. But keep reading. Paul says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. And so when it comes to this whole thing, we I mean, how hard? I mean, it was so hard to just... Never interact with anybody at work or never interact with anybody in your neighborhood. Never interact with anybody at school. Just have no other exposure or relationships except for like three holy people. And that's it. That would be so challenging. And so Paul says, no, that's not what I was talking about. What I'm talking about are, are those who claim to follow Jesus and are, in this particular case, committing incest and calling themselves a follower of Jesus, it goes on to say this. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sin. Next next slide. He said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but certainly it is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. All right. I think somewhere along the way, we get this reversed. We spend a whole lot of time um, pointing the finger at what everybody outside the church is doing and judging them, those who have no concept of God, of Christ, of the Scriptures, of the truth. And we expect them to live uh, like they do know that, but they don't know that. And we spend a lot of energy and time focusing outward in that, that regard and often to the neglect of what's going on right side inside our own church. We get really easy with each other. We, we let each other, we don't talk to each other below the surface. How are you doing, brother? I'm great, sister. Thank you so much for asking. I'll be praying for you. Oh, cool. And then we walk out, we never do. And you go to your life group, it's an opportunity. You go to a Bible study, it's an opportunity to get into relationships below the surface. And it's dangerous. It's scary. But you let people really know you, and you get to know people, and... You invite them to speak into your life and you have the privilege of speaking into theirs so that maybe we could grow up and mature in our faith. See, this isn't about being soft on sin. It's a huge deal. It's wrecking even churches. And so we have to be open and honest about it. We have to share what's going on and then uphold each other. Be there for each other in that regard. It takes a lot of work to get there. But for us to shift the focus, to take a good inward look at our own hearts, and then be first and foremost available to make some judgment calls on brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you have good relationship. And hold them up and let them hold you up. That's a huge shift and that's a huge moment. And then recognize that it's God's job to focus and judge on the outsiders. That's not my job. That's such a freeing concept and thought. I don't need to worry about all that right now, except for the fact that they are lost. They don't know him. And now I'm a follower of Jesus who should be like Jesus, should be a friend of sinners. And I'm going to go out and try to befriend them. That's a whole different perspective than i got to judge them and figure out what they're doing wrong and call them out on it. Start with you. Let's start with us. And then we'll let God deal with it. And then we'll march out as an actual aroma of Jesus. And begin to process, okay, if I am going to be used by God to help bring outsiders, those outside of relationship with God and certainly outside the church to come in, what's that look like? Because if we continue and I'm not speaking about heights per se, just the church at large, if we continue to be a mess inside and allow all sorts of junk and we don't look any different than those who don't know, if, if the inside of us is a mess here, then why would people want to come inside who are on the outside? And if every single time a believer or an insider goes outside to the world and we're a mess then again, why would anybody want to come inside? That's where the next chapter goes. That's why he's saying if you're believers and don't go suing each other out in the public sector, they're going, oh, this is what Christians look like, like out there? Oh, no wonder. And they come, you've got to figure this all out. But if we look and talk and interact like Jesus internally, and then when we're outside, we talk and interact like Jesus out there, the, the odds of being used by God to have outsiders be brought inside it, it's a lot higher. Just a couple of thoughts as we, we close. Um, remember, you're not Jesus. Let's just establish that on week one of a series about Jesus. Um, if not something we just anchor in every Sunday, I know Jesus and I'm not Him. You're not Him. But I say that to say, okay, there is a difficulty here when we, we're, we're, we're so kind of encouraged by who Jesus is, the more that we get to know Him and what He's done, especially for us with regard to our sin. Then the next step of, okay, now how can I, how can I be like Jesus with the people around me in an appropriate fashion? It's really easy for a couple of things to happen. If I go, I want to be a friend of sinners like Jesus, well, a couple of issues can happen. One, you, you can think that now everything about their rescue and salvation is up to you. That can be a real slippery slope. You dive in and, okay, well, i, I got to be a friend of sinners. And, and so now, now if, if they make it or break it, that's totally on me. Forgetting what it says up here first. You're, you're not their personal savior. You can be there for them, you can befriend them, you can reflect Christ, but you are not atoning for anyone's sins. You cannot become the sacrifice for their sins, who also then raises from the dead for their salvation. That's Jesus and Jesus alone. You also need to use wisdom and discernment and good boundaries. Because it is so easy for you to start to interact with people that are quote-unquote sinners who don't know Jesus and for them to pull you right in to the stream of sin and whisk you away. And you know how easy that can be. It's way easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. And so you, you go into those moments, you need to leverage some good wisdom and discernment. Some good boundaries. Because maybe, maybe it's one of those things where they struggle with this particular issue, and that's what you struggled with ten years ago. There's part of that that goes, that might make me the perfect person for it, because you can speak from experience and how God rescued you, and, and you can and you should. But you also need to be thinking, I, I, I don't know if I get back in that world, in those relationships, if it's going to suck me back into it. And so you go, okay, here's the deal. I'm not their savior it would be unhealthy and unwise for me to step back in. So, God's a way better shepherd of His people than I am. He will care for this person. I, I need to. I, I care about what happens. I just can't be the one to roll up my sleeves and be the one that God uses to figure this out. And He knows that. We've talked about it. We've prayed. And so, He'll raise up somebody else. That's why the body of Christ, we need multiple people with multiple experiences, even at m- multiple maturity levels. And you look and you go, okay, someone else may be better for the job than you. It's not that you're walking away from them. It just says, I care enough about you. I'm going to help get you help. It's not going to be me, but I'll be there for you. I'll find some avenue here. That's huge. Keep that in mind. But ultimately for us, I would love for all of us to be considered like Jesus, a, a friend of sinners. And if I could be accused of almost anything, I I would love to be accused of that. And I would love, honestly, for our church to be accused of that. And it is, usually with a tone to it, but I'm stoked that people feel like they can come here even though they don't know Jesus. Uh, I I love that there's ministry that's happening, and people are getting saved from their sin, Jesus crosses over to the outside to pull people in, not just on a Sunday, but all week long through relationships that you've got with people. I'll fight for that forever because I think that's the heart of Jesus. But this next is is really how to be a friend of sinners like Jesus. It's only part of it, but I see it in how he interacted with Levi. Levi. No, don't require people to change before you're willing to befriend them. Jesus didn't. He didn't say, Hey, Levi, you got to get fully cleaned up. You got some decisions to make. There's a 180 that needs to happen. And you need to let this thing go, but you also need to come follow me. You think Matthew was perfect day one? No. And we won't be either. And there's just something about saying, Okay, I. I don't condone what you're into and I don't really understand it, but that doesn't mean that we can't be friends. It may be an issue for them, but it doesn't need to be an issue for you. And so for you and I to get into that relationship and just say, okay, you've got stuff, I've got stuff. Can we just talk about what Jesus did with mending the stuff in my life? I think we should seek them out and meet them where they're at. I love that there is an opportunity here for people that are separated from God because of their sin to come to us on a regular basis. But what I think is often better is that we seek them out and we go to them to communicate, I know where you're at. But you belong to Jesus. And he, He's already taken care of the sin that has wrecked you. And he's already died on the cross for you. He's already risen from the dead for you. He's alive and well today and He desires to walk in a relationship with you. If you've got a relationship built, then those sorts of words and conversations are easier to come by. I think we need to extend grace. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. Repentance. And if it's His kindness that leads people to turn from their sin, then I think I'm going to be more effective if I'm as kind as my Savior. But that kindness needs also another part to it, another part of love, another part of kindness, is that we speak and share the truth in love for the purposes of bringing people that are outside a relationship with God into a relationship with God. I've got to speak up sometimes. And we were constantly in this tension between when do I speak up and when do I shut up? This isn't an either or. It's a both and. When do I extend grace? When do I speak the truth? It's not an either or. It's a both and. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. It's not one or the other. How many of you ever had a, a relationship with someone where you began to become concerned about the sinful choices they were making, and so you set them straight, fearful that if they continued, they would wreck themselves, wreck other people, wreck any sort of hope of a relationship with God? How many of you ever had a relationship with someone who began to become concerned about the, the choices, the sinful choices they were making, but you did nothing? You said nothing for fear that if you did, they would reject you or reject God. To me, one is a grace conversation, one's a truth conversation. And We've all had those moments where we've spoken up or we've said nothing. Sometimes it's appropriate to say nothing and just be there. Sometimes it's really appropriate to speak up and share what's really true about them, about their sin, about their God or about the God that has been pursuing them for quite some time now. got a couple friends that live a lifestyle that I hurt for them. I've got two friends since kindergarten that I still deeply, deeply care for who don't know Jesus. And yet I will not give up sharing love, building relationship, and speaking up when I have the opportunity. I will not give up being a friend of quote-unquote sinners of whom I am the worst because Jesus has not and will not ever give up on me to that end. So Father, we just ask that You would give us wisdom and discernment about how to do this. It's, it's gray, it's messy, it's not easy. We have to use our brains. But God, continue just to highlight in us moments where we are allowing sin to get the best of us. And as Christians, that you would prompt us often through your Spirit to Allow you to search us, to test us, and then lead us in the way everlasting. Help us be people with each other that can have below the surface conversations about our hearts and our souls and what's really going on. Help us focus more on what's going on in our family here than what's going on outside the the family with regard to how we judge the activities of those around us. And then when we do think on those that are outside of the family of God, would you burden our heart just to love and care for them, to dive into relationship with them for the purposes of sharing at some point the truth with them that they might go from being outside to inside. If that's you here in this room that you know right now, I'm on the outside. I don't know Jesus. I'm still figuring him out maybe just hearing that He's done everything possible to make it an opportunity for you to step into a relationship with Him, well then, just talk to Him right now. You just confess your sin. It just means to agree that yep, this is what you said it was. God, this is not your best for me. This is Hurting me and you and me and me and me and others. And so you take it away. You hand Jesus your sin. He hands you His righteousness. And you invite Jesus to sit in the driver's seat of your life as Lord and say, now Jesus, you take me wherever you want to go. I will follow you. He'll begin to shape you and change You and use You and Your story and Your journey and make a purposeful thing out of Your life. And so, Father, everything that we we have is because of You and we acknowledge that. We believe that You're right here in our midst right now. We believe that You love us. We believe that You are good. You are at work. That You are patient. You are kind. And You are the definition of everything that is true. Keep us focused on You. In Jesus' name, Amen.